Reboots are all the rage these days. Barely a week goes by without some new version of an old classic, always thinking that they can do it better. Here at V-Suit, we felt that we more or less got it right the first time. So back with your original cast and no guest appearances by Ben Affleck, it's the original trio of Chris, Ed and Christian talking virtualization like it is. Hi guys, nice to see you again. Hey, good to talk to you again, buddy. Hey, it's been a while. Certainly has, certainly has. We uh, we did attempt a uh, a quick recording at, uh, at VMworld, and those that might have uh, seen us some a few photos on Twitter. Um, but uh, yeah, logistics once again got the best of us. However, with some renewed vigor, um, you know, we we decided that we'll uh, we'll try and get the band back together. Yeah, yeah. are you doing the whole Blues Brothers thing now? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to see how many film references I can get in. It's probably probably easier, but I guess you know a, a lot's changed. Um, you know, I've uh, I've got a new job, so that's keeping me fairly busy. Um, I see you've uh, taken on an extra job, Christian, or is is that just a, an extra thing on LinkedIn? No, it's just a, a it's just a member of the CTO board in Proact, so it's just a an internal thing, basically. It's new, not a new job as such, but. It's, uh, a, it's, a, it's an additional role, to put it that way. Yeah, board member always always sounds like you know you you've taken a step up in the world. Yeah, well, I, I get to kind of voice my not so humble opinions everywhere now. So basically, that's uh, what it, what it means. <laughs> they have to listen to you this time. Yeah, no choice. I'm basically on the uh, uh, we're doing. We have a CDO board across Proact Europe uh, with uh, a few members from different countries. So we're kind of trying to get Proact to pull together in the right right kind of direction. Um, so it's basically just a, a, a some sort of internal voicing channel, basically. But it's it's a cool title, though. So why not? Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, having a CTO board is that replacing the concept of a single a single CTO? Because obviously, a CTO is a is a board position. Um, or you know, are you now for part of some form of collective matrix of CTOs that you'll have like a secret ring and yeah, secret handshakes and, <laughs> and all that stuff. Uh, well, basically, it's uh, we're trying. Proact is a kind of distributed company. You know, we have companies in uh, different com- uh, companies in different cities or different um, not cities but countries. You know, so it's, you have Proact Germany and Finland and Sweden and Denmark, and so we're trying to do kind of make a, a technical CDO kind of board on top of that to get all the technical resources together uh, across across the different uh, countries, basically. Okay, so someone else, not me, has the CDO title. Uh, that's uh, that's not me at all. But we're kind of involved in the uh, uh, processes of kind of steering the technical direction we want to go in. Okay, so yeah, sort of te- technical steering committee, but a much sexier sounding job title. Basically, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and it looks good on LinkedIn. So why not? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, it g- gains many, many LinkedIn points. It did. It did. How about you, Ed? What have you, what have you been up to since we last last spoke? Well, uh, a lot of the same. Um, my tie. I didn't get like a fancy new title or anything like that. But uh, I got a. We have a second uh, kid now, so that's been keeping me busy the past couple weeks. I was going to say, you know, that's enough of a uh, a challenge that you should definitely put it on on LinkedIn. <laughs> <laughs> 
Number of children, two. Number of hours slept, four. Ever. <laughs> Actually, with the second one, I find that um, a lot of the sleeping stuff is easier. Maybe it's different for other people, but uh, for me, this it seems like um, this the second one's quite calmer. Or maybe we know what we're doing. You know, that uh, that's probably you sleep it. heavier. Yeah, <laughs> you learn to sleep through it. I've learned to ignore it. Yeah, maybe. Well, it's, it's, it's that game, isn't it? You've got to try and work, work it right. Is the, is the wife going to wake up first? I'll pretend to be asleep. She's woken up. Wait till she's just got out of bed. Oh, oh I'll, I'll, I'll help. Oh, oh no, sorry. That's all right. You go back to bed. Okay. <laughs> Not that I'd ever have done anything like that. But. No, I never. Never. No, no I, I just slept, slept solidly through. It was fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's uh, pretty much my take on it as well. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I, I, I'm a pretty heavy sleeper, uh, which caused me to miss a flight uh, here about a week ago as well, but for the first time. So uh, I've been doing a lot of traveling to Oslo and taking kind of these 0700 early flights over. Uh, so it was bound to happen at some point that I missed it. Hopefully you fell asleep. You stayed asleep at home and not at the airport. Uh, yeah, I, I I woke up at home half an hour before the flight was supposed to leave. So, ooh, ooh, that's a, that's a tough one. That yeah, yeah they, well, they do say if uh, if you've never missed a flight, you're spending too long at an airport. So uh, yeah, I think you know, I think you're now in that exclusive club. Yeah, well, forty five minutes later, I was actually at the airport. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> so forty five minutes after waking up, I was. At the physical location, trying to get a new ticket. So that's pretty good. That's where it worked out fine. So, so are you most mostly traveling in, in uh, sunny Norway at the moment? Yeah, lots of flights between Bergen and Oslo in the uh, winter uh, winter weather here, which is kind of interesting at times. It it it's, it gets windy, <laughs> right? So a couple of those flights have been kind of interesting. Uh, Small plane, I would guess, huh? Yeah, well, it's just a, I don't know. I, I'm not a. Fl- I don't know. I, I'm not. I'm not a, not a plane buff, so I don't even remember. Yeah, it's, what plane. it's got wings and it's got it's got an engine. <laughs> it goes through and it lands and takes off and stuff. So mm-hmm. yeah, well. <laughs> but I, I, I probably I, give you I, coffee on it, unlike the uh, British Airways ones now. Uh, okay. Yeah, so British Airways have like they decided that they're going to treat their short haul customers really well by essentially not giving them any anything to to eat on short haul or drink unless you pay for it. Hey, that sounds um, just like an American airline. Yeah, yeah, I'm not too sure. Someone's got this idea that this is good customer service, and the it's it seems that regular British Airways flyers are are not happy about it. Well, Norwegian does that here as well. I mean, between Bergen and Oslo, that's a 50-minute flight or so. Yeah. Uh, you, you get nothing, basically, nothing at all. To be honest, uh, yeah, but 50 minutes, you get Wi-Fi on Norwegian, though, don't you? Uh, yeah, you do. Yeah, but, that's That's, that's more, more than you get on BA. Yeah, well, yeah. With, with SAS, you get a cup of coffee, and unless you're uh, doing a business class ticket or something like that, you get everything for free, but... Uh, basically, you get coffee or tea for free with SAS anyway. So. But isn't it so that there's some unwritten rule that the coffee on every single plane, no matter the airline, no matter the country, it's garbage? <laughs> yeah, it has to be bad quality. It's yeah, nearly coffee. undrinkable. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you, when you take it, when you, is a requirement. 
it's not um, you you actually have to have it no matter how it tastes. <laughs> yeah, if you're getting an O seven hundred plane then yeah, you probably need that coffee. Oh yeah. And quite a lot of it as well. <laughs> Yeah, so um, speaking of uh, of reboots, have you guys seen uh, Nokia are trying to bring out the uh, potentially relaunch the legendary thirty three ten phone? You know, the one that has a a battery life you can measure in geological ages. Yeah, I saw that. Um, but why? I mean, I don't know. I, th- I think pe- people are, are fondly remembering it as a, as a phone that, as I say, not only did it never run out of battery, that in a, in a pinch you could beat someone to death with it. It was that well put together. Um, yeah. Well, I get that. And but... play Snake. <laughs> yeah. Snake. I got a, um, speaking of it, in, in, um, in Vietnam especially, Nokia has never gone away. I'm looking at my desk right now at a BL... 5CB, it's like a mini version of uh, the one you just mentioned. You can okay. also play Snake on it. But um, it hasn't gone away in all these years out there. It seems that where Nokia's business has been flourishing is actually the third world. Yeah, I guess if you don't need email. Um, but I suppose if they could integrate some form of... Uh, internet connection in it so that people could use something like WhatsApp or some of the basic sort of just messaging applications, um, then you could potentially have a killer phone. I mean, you know, if they launch it cheap enough, it becomes semi-disposable, you know, a phone that you don't mind taking out, drinking for fear that it <laughs> might get lost or, or stolen, um, you know, a phone that you can take to VMworld and you don't really care if you get pickpocketed in Barcelona with it, um, that... Yeah, as a as a burner phone, it, it's pretty much perfect. A burner, yeah, it's just uh, yeah, throwing well, out the SIM card throughout the whole phone. <laughs> drop, drop it in the bin at the airport. <laughs> yeah, well, that that's the thing. It's going to be really popular for everyone going to the US. Actually, yeah, of course. So that right. actually actually makes a lot of sense now. Yeah, access my Twitter account on this. Yeah, so why well, don't you? I know. <laughs> Can you stop playing Snake? <laughs> we had a lot of discussions uh, regarding that on Twitter as well. We'd, I ha- had this kind of idea that you should set up a shop at the airports in the US where you can lease a phone and some kind of terminal endpoint, being a laptop or a Mac or whatever, once you get through customs. Yeah, I think um, so, I was, I was trying to do that to basically sort of help out with... Um, travelers that wanted uh, some form of Wi-Fi hotspot. So they were just trying to lease, you know, allow you to effectively rent a, a Wi-Fi hotspot um, on, on a phone that you could just pay, sort of pay-as-you-go pretty much because it's, I know in the States, you, it's really hard to get pay-as-you-go SIM cards with data on it. I don't know if that's changed. Nowadays, you can very easily. Oh, okay. So I know it's a few years since since I've been in that sort of situation. But they but do require location. They want to make sure, you know, if you are a drug dealer and something happens that they can get you. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. Okay, but, but, but here's the thing. If the TSA is going to start randomly semi-randomly or purposefully as it might be, uh, select people and go through their electronics. So why, why don't have a service set up where you could 
you back up your own stuff through Amazon or something like like that. And when you get to the U.S., get through, through customs and TSA and everything, and immigration and all that stuff, you borrow or lease an, an endpoint on the other end and restore your backup from, from Amazon. Yeah. And you have all your, your the stuff you need on your travel with you without actually having to pull your phone or your actual hardware with you at all. I suppose it's almost a case for kind of, you know, you want like a, a VDI image that you can yeah. take an offline copy. Yeah, pretty uh, much. Take a, pur- purge the image before you before you leave and resync it when when you yeah, get to the destination. You could do it in a really kind of cool way as well. You you install some sort of agent or whatever on your physical endpoint in your end. You select whatever data you want to have synchronized up to Amazon or whatever, and then you'll just log on from another endpoint on the other end and sync that data back down. If you have everything in Amazon, the U.S. government has all your data anyways. Yeah, <laughs> but you don't have to show it to them during your flight, which is the hassle. The NSA yes. has everything anyway, so they don't give a flying fuck about But I don't want the hassle of some TSA guy poking through my hardware. You guys heard about that NASA employee? Yeah. Yeah, he wanted access to his NASA phone, and he was like, "No, it's classified or something, didn't he?" He gave it. Yeah, he wound up giving it to him. Um, but uh, you know, who knows what's going to happen to him there at NASA now? Because there was some talks in the background that the security department really was not happy about that. Yeah, it's a tough one, that mm. um, because you know, being forced to sort of reveal your password, or if you've got. Thumbprints? Do they do they remove do they remove your thumb so that you can can log in? <laughs> um, they what they'll do is literally keep you there forever. Yeah, yeah. until you get the thumb out of your ass, and then they'll, they'll use it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, most, you know where the, the thumbprint sensor is really close to like where you're speaking. <laughs> it's going to get a bit stinky if you've done that. <laughs> That's another problem with a rental phone as well. <laughs> you don't know where it's been. Yeah, you know, people do funny things on phones these days. On phones, <laughs> with phones. <laughs> Any piece of technology, anyhow, uh, as well. Yeah. Um, I, I, there was some stand-up comedian. I forget who it was, but... Uh, he said, I find it strange in the day and age of, of computers as such. I find it strange that I masturbate with the same thing that my kid learns how to spell on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, man. You couldn't, you couldn't do that with the old 80s speaking spell. No. <laughs> that's, that's a reboot that's not going to happen. <laughs> Another use case for the old Nokias as well. <laughs> Yeah. That's also why I don't get an iPhone Plus, just to say that. But that's a different different thing. <laughs> the size bothers me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So this virtualization thing, is this not taking off? Or should we talk about that some more? 15 just, minutes in, we haven't mentioned it once, except for no, saying yeah. VMworld. Yeah, yeah, I think that's, I, I think a, that's I, good call. But, you know, mind you, I said I, I actually uh, had to install some some uh, vSphere the, the other day. Um, 
I'm having to sort of rebuild my lab up. I've uh, bought myself some some hardware, spent a small fortune on it. Um, and now I don't tend to run it because it's so damn loud. Uh, I've, got, <laughs> I've got to relocate it to my garage because I can't actually hear myself think when I switch it on. Um, but yeah, actually uh, got to got to deploy vSphere again, which I haven't done for a while. Um, pleasantly su- surprised to see that the, the new web client doesn't suck quite as horrendously as the, uh, the ESX5 one. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's all coming back to me. It's, uh, been a, been a bit of a journey again to try and remember where everything was. Yeah, it's, it's, if you, if you haven't done anything install wise for a while, it's, uh, it hasn't changed that much to be honest, but no, I mean, installing ESXi, that's definitely the easy bit. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, got to you know made made some use of the uh, the old appliance um, that uh, we were when we did the uh, session at, at VMware. We were kindly joined by by Imad, um, mm. who was extolling the virtues of the the new VCSA. And yeah, I'm happy to say that it's it's come a long way. I remember the first time uh, it uh, it appeared, and you had to install some horrendous uh, Oracle Express to try and get it to work, and it was just generally painful. Um, that yeah, VCSA just seems to be quite nice now. And it is. It's it is. It's really nice. I'm I'm, I'm using that in pr- in production all over the place these days, and it's it's brilliant. It's really good. Yeah. In in my mind now, the next logical step for it to go would be this is uh, the VCSA is containerized. That would okay. make a lot of sense, but. Yeah. That kind of, yeah, it would actually. Is, is that uh, as, as an easier way of making it high availability? Well, not just high availability, but easier to, um, you know, like you would have a central database, and then all the other stuff would be containerized, and you wouldn't even have to worry about restoring it. You could simply spawn more microservices that attach to the static yeah. database. The static database is something that. The static storage is always something that's still an issue in, in Docker, but um, yeah, yeah, I'm sure you'd find some solution there in the back end. <laughs> but so yeah, then then do you go back to having to deploy an appliance which is holding the database? On yeah, you need to store it somewhere. So yeah, yeah, the database, or it could be anywhere, right? Yeah. Point point it at AWS. Could if you want to. Yeah, it's going to make your home life expensive. Yeah, well, with the uh, the uh, VMware on AWS stuff, you never know what's going to happen. You know, so it, it, that might actually be a service that AWS might provide on the back end as well. So you don't have to actually run your appliance on your AWS hosted DSXi hosts. We yeah. run the, the vCenter basically as a service on AWS. That would be pretty easy if they containerized it to begin with. Hmm. I suppose that, that would be pretty cool. Dynamically spawn up new platform services, controllers, load balancers, and all that stuff. If you if you have that kind of environment, you know, it's why not? You can do it yeah, in, in in seconds. Yeah, yeah. Then have some form of proxy on the the hosts to to, to enable you know access to that uh, remote image. I suppose you know there are plenty of things that are cloud managed now. If you look at like you know Meraki wireless and um, there's quite a few other things where all the management is done in, in, in the cloud. Um, why yeah. not? I'm actually, I'm probably sure that someone is going to 
either put in the comments or brace us on Twitter that I'm sure there are lots of reasons why you would not want to put your vCenter instance in the cloud. Um, and lots of people with tinfoil hats will probably get very upset about it. <laughs> but it, it almost, it, it does seem kind of like a logical step. Um, I guess the security aspect's a bit bit more important. But. Yeah, there there is a lot of stuff that needs to be figured out before we can do that, but of course, you have vSphere integrated containers anyway, yeah. which is the container registry and the engine and management portals and everything. And the nature in which all the services are set up, especially in the vCSA, yeah. um, would uh, be conducive to microservice type of technology. Exactly. So I don't think it's that far-fetched to think that that's probably the, the way it's going. Yeah. Which is, I think, is one of the main reasons why they would actually want to move away. There are a lot of reasons why we want to move away from Windows-based vCenter, but doing this uh, with the vCSA makes a, a lot more sense than doing it with the old Windows-style thing. So the road is there if they want to do it, basically. That's a that's a fair point. It's a fair point. I suppose. And it then does it make it then easier to plug in some of the other services? So if you think, you know that. VMware is very much about the other services nowadays. It's you know, the hypervisor itself is, is less important. So it's about the orchestration and management side. So being able to plug in VROPS as a service or um, plugging in uh, the, the um, automation almost as a container. Yeah, why not? You could provide that as a service as well, powered by VRA in the back end anyway. And just deploy it as containers directed to the vSphere integrated uh, registry anyway. So there's a there, there are ways of thinking about this that makes a lot of sense, and I, I think a lot of things is happening on the back end that might enable this. Uh, um, probably a few years down the road anyway, but but. I think it's going that way. You see, the the HTML5 client, which is uh, included in 6.5, but they're also developing it and making early releases of it. You run that on an appliance besides your uh, your normal vCenter anyway. So the HTML5 client would be decoupled from the actual appliance that runs uh, the database and stuff anyway. So why not? Provide that as a as a container as well. It's already separate if you want it to be. Yeah. I suppose you know. Does what does this actually sort of hint towards it in the future? If we try and kind of put our, our sort of fortune teller hats on, um, that you know, does this does this make a, a a true hybrid cloud easier? That you know, you if you want to deploy workloads that you physically have to have. Um, visibility of then well that's easy enough you'll deploy some some boxes that'll talk to a remote management service but the actual workload will run locally or if you need to rent a whole load of compute you can rent compute from anywhere that will again plug into that same central management service yeah yeah why not uh, next logical step from from that would be to integrate ESXi directly into the hardware hardware you run it on anyway you don't have to install anything just power it up and Pointed towards the the uh, the V center, wherever wherever it is, and it just fires up and does the same kind of thing that a, uh, VMware on AWS will do anyway, where you can dynamically scale up and down with the amount of 
physical hardware endpoints you're running. Which is uh, kind of done now with the SD card thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so move that into some sort of uh, secure boot EFI BIOS thing. Just fire up ESXi as an image from uh, the registry. Yeah. And you have a, a dynamically scalable data center without having to install anything at all. Just rack and stack the stuff and power it on. So, yeah, basically the, the future of data center engineers is being really good at racking. <laughs> well, no, I wouldn't. I mean, data center engineer depends on, on that title has so many different meanings in so many does, different companies, it? right? Um, but it's like, especially myself, still with a title that has engineer in it, I find that I'm in a data center maybe one time in three months nowadays. The touching of hardware is, yeah, it, it does become less and less of a relevant thing. And uh, especially when these enterprise applications, well, right now, the reason why the whole containerization thing hasn't completely taken off is these, I guess you want to call them legacy enterprise-style applications. But Microsoft is, I'm sure they're already on this. They're putting Docker into their operating systems yeah. as an option. So at some point, like, dockerized messaging, all, all this stuff is going to be available. But right now it's still what what you call the legacy enterprise application. Yeah, I mean, I guess the, the key for those is that, you know, messaging requires a database. And that, that database essentially needs to have some form of persistency around it. Yeah, and, and I mean, right now the whole storage consistency, the static consistency thing is a bit tricky. But uh, it still does it still does work, and uh, if it's set up right, it doesn't have to be a single for a single uh, point of failure. Yeah. You know, the my, my my biggest kind of grief with Docker and that stuff right now is it looks a lot like uh, most developers are actually using that to <laughs> kind of embed an entire operating system into the image. Uh, right. So basically, you're doing application packaging with an OS, which doesn't seem to be that much of a a, a, a gain uh, to me, to be honest. But I'm, I'm I'm sure that'll kind of if if you just end up with libraries and stuff that you actually need and don't package everything into the images, it does make a lot of sense to do it that way. But I, I'm not sure we're doing this right quite yet. <laughs> well, what, I mean, we have a we we're using we're starting to use Docker a bit in in my company, and um, we note what it what it's used for. If you have to develop so fat like that, it's not useful anymore. We use it only for the thinnest thinnest of web services. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and that's that's kind of where it makes sense because you could respawn all your web services. Like, say, you got. Um, a bunch of people accessing a website to run an application we have, and we just made an announcement, right? We'll spawn, you know, double the microservices that day that we made the announcement. <clears throat> yeah, I think that it's it's going to be like the future of... Uh, it, I think it's the, almost the next logical level of what virtualization was maybe 15 years ago now. <laughs> okay. Yeah. 
that's also something that VMware is is identifying and and and, and doing and uh, making it possible to manage containers uh, from the same management plane as you do with VMs because those are not equal and they're they are not replacing each other uh, directly. So yeah. having having a, a, a the decentralized management for both makes a lot of sense from a, from VMware's perspective as well. Otherwise, they every, every all the container stuff would go elsewhere. So why not? Yeah, that's the thing. Sense. If they if they lose hold of that that management plane, yeah, you know, as I think someone said once before, you know, the most the the thing that made VMware successful was vCenter. Um, and that if if they lose that sort of vCenter like experience for uh, containers, then yeah, that's that's going to be quite a big fight. That they'll be they'll be trying to catch up, like Microsoft was trying to catch up with their hypervisors. Well, and it wasn't the hypervisors. The problem it was the the management. About the management is um, at VMworld, they talked kind of about they were like almost adopting Kubernetes. Yep. As a service for um, for managing all this stuff, it's the most popular thing to manage uh, Docker right now. So they're almost kind of uh, riding on the coattails of it. Oh, okay. Yeah, but at the, at the same time, that the containerized data center isn't actually the reality for most companies these days. I no. Honestly, we're all running a bunch of legacy stuff that is no way designed to be run like that. And it's, yeah, true, and it's honestly probably going to be like that for another 20 years. We still have mainframes around, come on. <laughs> it, 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 this this stuff doesn't happen overnight. No, no. But I, I, I guess, you know, there are there are plenty of people with the short technology attention spans that will get excited about something for a very short amount of time, and it's the next big thing, and if you're not doing it, then, then you're, you're old hat, and then something else new will come along, and they'll move on to that. Yeah. Whereas there'll be people, um, and I probably kind of count myself in, in in the sort of the latter group that will, um, rather than jump onto it, they'll, they'll find a new technology, and then rather than jumping off from that to the next new technology, they'll probably go in a bit deeper into that technology and become subject matter expert in it and get get quite good at it, and as a result, hang on to it for a little bit longer. And then I suppose there's the third group of people. And the third group of people are listening to this on a Commodore Amiga. Um, <laughs> I miss mine. They'll, they'll, they'll jump onto some technology and they will never, ever let go of it. Um, and uh, are they listening to us in MIDI or what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they have got a MIDI port. There's, there's some guy with a fucking disc. Where this entire po uh, podcast has been reduced to 64K. It's very impressive. Uh, really pretty pictures on screen. Um, do, but, and do any of you remember the name of the sound chip for the Amiga? Uh, no, not off the top of my head. But there was there was wasn't there a band recently that um, they used the whole the Commodore sixty four sound chip for a whole load of things. Yeah, but that's a SID chip. That's uh, that's fine. Uh, but for the Amiga, not none of none of you remember that. Mm -mm. I'm, I'm trying to forget it. 
I still miss my Amigas. Uh, I had a 500, a 1200, and I have a 4000 as well at one point. So uh, the sound chip was actually named Paula. Paula. Oh, okay. Yeah. So now we know. Sounds like it's got personality. Personality goes a long way. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's a random bit of information, but that's what we're all about, I guess. But. So we'll, 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 I'm sure we'll leave some links to so where you can uh, discover more about Paula, the sound chip, uh, <laughs> in the, the show notes. Yeah, I'm sure. We'll make sure that happens. So, um, this is uh, we're all a bit rusty and we're starting back up, so we're going to wrap this one. Um, V-soup, no, I'm going to call this V-soup number blah, because I'd, I, honestly I'd have to look at the website to remember the number. You don't oh, yeah. remember uh, Paula. You don't remember our numbers. What what kind of use are you? <laughs> uh, this, this is sixty, by the way. <laughs> v suit number sixty. Okay. Yeah, we'll take that. Yeah. So, uh, guys, thanks for listening to this one. Uh, as usual, you can catch us on Stitcher, iTunes, or vsoup.net. Thanks. Assuming those services are all still running. Yeah. <laughs>